Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. Twice a week, we'll discuss the products, technology, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous vehicles as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney turned entrepreneur, and I've spent the past eight years founding and running two startups. I attended UCLA, Go Bruins, where I spent nearly the entire first four years on a mostly engineering track before finally graduating with an econ degree in my fifth year. I've become a recognized expert in the autonomous vehicle space, and you can find me on all social media channels at Autonomous Hogue, and of course my website, markhogue.com. Today, Tuesday, the 12th of February, 2019, episode 82, I share my solution for autonomous vehicle traffic problems in cities, we discuss infrastructure upgrades to help deploy autonomous vehicles more smoothly, and when will we see level 5 autonomous vehicles anyway? All this, right now. Three quick things before we kick things off today. Number one, please don't forget to continue to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. That is the only way that this show continues to grow. Second and related, please don't forget to leave five-star ratings and, of course, written feedback for this show on iTunes. It's a huge help to me. Third and finally, um, yeah, I sort of keep forgetting to do Friday poll days. Really sorry about that. I will do my best to remember to get back to it this Friday. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. So to kick things off today, we're going to take a bit of a step back to kind of flesh out a bit of the discussion we've had in the past about the really bitter truth with respect to city traffic congestion and, of course, commensurate travel times with respect to autonomous vehicles and, in particular, the rather unpleasant future they promise if we do not move to a car-sharing future. And even if we do move to a car-sharing future – if we don't find a way to keep these vehicles off the roads unless they're actually full of human occupants. To put this a different sort of way, we are in for a very rude awakening in this autonomous vehicle future if we allow these empty level 5 pod cars to drive around with no passengers inside. Because it turns out, as we've discussed before and as we're about to dive in now, that really these things are going to have an incentive to just drive around empty, if only to avoid parking charges and, of course, parking tickets. So here's the thing, right? So you've got an autonomous car, and I mean fully, level five autonomous. You get in it every morning, and you don't really care so much anyway about traffic anymore, because why would you? You can take a nap in the car. You can get more work done in the car. And so you continue on your way to work, and perhaps now you're already commuting further than you already would have in the past. But regardless, you get to your destination, say, to work, inside uh, of a city 
and you get out the car and you kind of go to work. Now, at this point, three possible, well, I guess four possible things can happen, right? So let's see. First, I suppose the car could just drive itself home again. Okay. Second, the car could go find a parking spot and just sort of stay there all day. The third option, of course, is the car can continue to drive around town looking for parking. And of course, the fourth option is the car will start shuttling around other passengers, effectively an autonomous car sharing program. That is, of course, the optimal solution. I guess second to that would be the car maybe driving itself home, or I suppose, no, 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 I guess... The, the, the second best solution would be to find a parking spot and stay there all day. The third best would, of course, be to get itself home. The worst possible outcome, just driving around aimlessly all day without picking anybody up, without finding a parking spot, this is the worst possible solution, but also it's the most likely solution. It turns out it's the cheapest solution as well, and that's why it tends to be the most likely I mean, again, obviously, putting aside for a moment that if you allowed your car to pick up strangers and drive them around, you'd be making money rather than losing money, however trivial the loss would be. Because remember, driving an autonomous car around all day, especially in the slow stop-and-go traffic of cities, it's going to be negligibly cheap as far as electrical range um, and, of course, tires and, well, that's kind of all there is, really. Um, so, yeah, so so really, this is just a roundabout way of getting to the point that, as we've discussed before, and I want to dive now into some greater detail, yeah, you've got this really big problem where cars, autonomous cars, are really going to have an incentive, a monetary incentive, to just keep sort of driving in circles totally empty. Now, we've talked about this in the past and so far as possible solutions, one of which was, of course, the big bad T word, um, obviously, to tax these things. The idea is that if you've got an autonomous car and if it's empty, then it's going to be taxed more heavily. As an aside, this idea of taxing is a really important one because there's a presumption actually, it's effectively a foregone conclusion that autonomous cars of the future in the next five to 10 years um, will be electric. And if you think that the tax revenues, at least here in the US, where where we are still stuck in, what, the 1970s, 1980s, and so far as tax revenue from gasoline, such revenue, of course, being supposedly earmarked to help kind of maintain our roads and bridges, which are literally crumbling... You may have heard this past weekend here in the San Francisco Bay Area, one of our longest bridges, the San Rafael Richmond Bridge, um, yeah, it actually started falling apart. I mean that literally. Like it literally actually started to fall apart, like chunks of concrete. So, so it's a double-decker bridge, two lanes each direction with a third uh, emergency lane on both, both decks. It literally actually had pieces of concrete falling, crumbling from the upper deck onto the lower deck below. And these weren't like little bits of pebbles and sort of granular broken chips of concrete. These were like chunks, large concrete chunks in the tennis ball all the way up to football sized. I mean, these could seriously damage a vehicle below, cause an accident. And frankly, if it went through the windshield, seriously injure a person inside the car. So anyway, the point is, We here in the U.S. are not exactly known for our outstanding infrastructure. Yes, we have more miles than anybody in the world. And yes, we have more cars driving and more miles of roads anywhere in the world. Well, yeah, well, that's a pretty good compelling argument for why we need to, well, increase tax revenue or revenue of some kind to help better maintain our roadways and bridges. Because obviously, 
Anyway, I'm not going to get into a political discussion about this, but just as a practical matter of fact, suffice to say, there is not enough money going in to maintain bridges and roads in this country. Full stop. For those of you like me who grew up playing SimCity, this is sort of like if you went to your budget panel and you cranked down the taxes being directed to roads and bridges, and then, of course, your roads start looking all ugly as they start to fall apart. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening here. So the question becomes then, this is sort of a roundabout sort of loop to get to my main point, which is, again, if we presume an autonomous future, which is largely electric, then obviously there's going to be even less tax revenue being diverted to roads and bridges. Um, Now, obviously, there have been a lot of suggestions here and there of some obvious things to do where, for instance, you tax cars based on miles driven. And I guess as long as that produces greater than or equal to the amount of tax revenue a regular combustion car would have generated, then, well, that's the Pareto optimal solution and all is well in the world, or at least here in the US anyway. Um, yeah, so so that is one option. So here then the question becomes, well, we're going to need to really make sure that we uh, do continue to get sufficient tax revenue. And of course, one way is, and hopefully this would help keep these empty pod cars from driving about clogging up our streets, is of course to tax, to penalize cars for being empty, because why not? Um, so yeah, I mean, there's not much to discuss there. That is a perfectly sound idea, even if people will obviously push back on it really, really hard. Um, how about this? What if we just flip it on its head? I mean, I get it. Economically, it's effectively the exact same thing. But rather than taxing, why not produce a financial incentive? Why not sort of either reward people somehow? Um, either they, they, they get some sort of money in the form of reduced taxes. Actually, yeah, hang on, here we go. Just totally thinking out loud here. And by the way, I am like the least qualified person to discuss tax, whether it's tax law or just the practical usage of taxes. Uh, Tax law in law school was, for me anyway, the hardest course I took. I didn't like it at all. Um, Anyway, but just an idea that comes to mind is, what if we could effectively deduct uh, from our taxable income some value proportional to the amount of passenger miles driven with our autonomous cars. So in other words, rather than being taxed, being penalized for allowing our cars to drive around empty, clogging up the streets, what if instead of that, um, as long as there are passengers in the car and it's driving itself around, and of course those passengers, what if somehow those miles can be logged, and then as those miles are logged, uh, it can then effectively go to offset our taxable income. So suppose you drive around, I don't know, say 80 or 90% of your car's miles driven are with other passengers, not yourself in the car. Well, whatever the number of miles are, that then gets sort of converted to a dollar value, which lowers your taxable income. And if you remember, obviously your taxes are based on whatever your taxable income is. So basically then this is sort of like... um just uh it's just a mechanism really to lower your taxes uh it's sort of the same way in which you know you donate money to charities um and of course that can be a deduction applied to your taxable income same thing here if you drive passengers around in your autonomous car those miles can be translated to a dollar value which then gets essentially recorded as a deduction to your taxable income i think that's a pretty cool idea I've literally just thought about this right now off the top of my head. So for all of you tax experts out there, please, please feel free to shoot this down, blow it out of the sky uh, if you like. But the point that I'm getting at is here, uh, and this really goes back to the discussion we had way back when, um, 
the fantastic book Three Revolutions by UC Davis professor Daniel Sperling. The book is Steering Automated, Shared, and Electric Vehicles to a Better Future. Um, these are the three revolutions we need. Remember, it's not sufficient merely to have two of those three, be it automated vehicles, or I should say autonomous vehicles, um, electric vehicles, or shared vehicles. You need all three. Otherwise, the whole thing just breaks and fails and nothing works. And in fact, things get worse. So there you have it. That's my brilliant solution to the clogged autonomous vehicle streets of the world. Let me know what you think. And this then really kind of uh, segues neatly into our next segment. So let's do it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So what I want to talk about now is um, related to this, which is really the infrastructure for autonomous vehicles. Now we've, well, I think I've talked about this in the past a bit. And in fact, I had suggested um, a thing that I had written a while back called Avris, the Autonomous Vehicle uh, Road Improvement, I don't know, solution or something I'd <clears throat> kind of concocted a while back. Just this this notion that, you know, when you look at the evolution of the automobile generally from the early 1900s, you know, we went from, well, muddy dirt roads, which the Ford Model T was surprisingly adept at getting over, I should say. Um, but yeah, those are a bit sort of uncomfortable and bouncy and yeah, just not very pleasant and of course very dirty. But then we eventually upgraded our roads to the stuff we have today, this 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 tarmac, uh, short for tarmacatum, this really nice, smooth, black asphalt, well, smooth everywhere else in the world, generally not so smooth here. Um, but yeah, so a really uh, nice system at work. We did it because it benefited the cars and, of course, the, the flesh and blood occupants inside the cars. Um, obviously, we also use concrete these days uh, for places that don't get much rain because, I guess, more reliable, I suppose, uh, more durable, they last longer. Um, yeah, totally useless in places like Southern California where concrete roads are extremely slippery in the rain. Um, but anyway, so this idea for infrastructure, though, is a really important one because the question becomes, what can we do to make it easier for autonomous cars to see their, the world around them, right? So we've talked quite a bit about the technology itself, but there's a lot to be said about the actual infrastructure. Yes, we've discussed things like vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle communication, maybe transponders and stoplights that can communicate with the car. Sort of a secondary layer of stuff that enables cars to nevertheless, uh, well, interpret the world if it can't see the world, say, because it's physically blocked or otherwise invisible. A good example, of course, are, um, well, meteorological limitations, snow, fog, that kind of thing, right? And of course, uh, for those of you who listened to my CES episode about, uh, what, about a month ago, um, obviously companies like Here Technologies are doing their part to ensure that we've got, uh, let's see, real-time uh, self-healing HD maps. These are this is like a, several layers of mapping data, which is sort of crowdsourced from vehicles onboard sensors to understand what's going on with the road physically at a micro level down to the actual surface condition of the road itself. For example, potholes, the real-time updated 
Camera and LiDAR on the cars lets you know about things like downed power lines or, or trees or, or new stop signs, new road conditions, new lane markings generally, where this was never there before, and where such updates would have taken a really long time to roll out because, of course, the actual mapping data itself would have to first of all be updated by mere mortal humans and then sort of pushed to all the other vehicle mapping systems. And this way, then, this kind of real-time crowdsource self-healing HD maps, um, this is a really great step in that right direction. But... Is it enough? Um, I don't know. I, I think that it eventually will be enough, or at least that's the end game. It should be enough, right? Um, I think, though, that a really important thing to consider, if only to help kind of smooth things out and to make it easier to roll out these cars, as it were, is to really get a jump on prioritizing their presence in cities. Uh, here's what I mean by this. I, I think I mentioned this uh, a few episodes back. Here in San Francisco, if you know the area, on Venice Avenue. It's effectively a street going version that is with stoplights of the 101 freeway that runs north and south through California or technically east and west in Southern California, but whatever. Um, and what they're doing is they're basically, well, it's a massive amount of work. They're several years behind and several billion or I guess several million dollars uh, over budget. Um, yeah, over budget. Um, and the idea is to build a dedicated line for Muni. That's our that's San Francisco's uh, public bus system. And, you know, that, that's fine. By all means, build dedicated line, uh, you know, road segments just for buses. That, that's totally fine. Do it for buses. Do it for, for, um, for bicycles. But what we really need to do is to plan ahead. And I, I have to say, to San Francisco's credit for being so technologically forward-thinking most of the time, we should be building dedicated lanes for autonomous vehicles now. Not in five years, not in ten years, but right now. Um, you know, I've said for quite some time that I think, at least on freeways, we're going to see autonomous cars being restricted, first of all, to – and when I say autonomous, I know if Alex is listening, he's wondering, where do I mean on the spectrum here? Uh, but I mean fully, level five autonomous. Once they roll out, I, I do believe they're going to be initially restricted perhaps to the carpool lanes. As an aside, this is especially true for things like level three and level four cars. And I think I – think, um, that the, the carpool lanes will basically give priority to autonomous cars in the same way they give priority to electric cars. But we need the exact same thing in cities. We need dedicated lanes. The thing is, these take a long time to construct, obviously. So why not get a jump on it now? You know, anticipate where the ball is going to be and aim for that. Um, because it is sort of a chicken and egg problem. Can you imagine a situation where we've got autonomous cars? They're really kind of, the, the, you know, they're being produced en masse. They're, they're available for well, private consumption, perhaps, but certainly for for uh, for ride sharing usage. Can you imagine these start to flood the roadway, the roadways, and foolishly, city infrastructure isn't ready for it. It doesn't. We don't. You know, we don't have these dedicated lanes that are singularly for autonomous cars. I think this would be a really, really bad thing to get wrong. Um, again, I think you know, if you're only looking at it from a chicken and egg point of view, why not? get this right. You know, the chicken comes first. Uh, I guess in this case, that's the, the car, not the road, whatever. The, the point is avoid any potential chicken and egg problem. Commit to doing one thing first. And I think that one thing must be the infrastructure to support the cars. And by the way, just again, sort of thinking out loud about this some more, this would this would really help solve some of the other problems like the meteorological constraints we discussed earlier, right? So snow and 
sort of other visibility uh, limited uh, conditions, right? If you've got dedicated roadways, then the cars are already effectively able to circumnavigate, as it were, or at least <laughs> directly navigate, I guess, um, these otherwise impassable conditions, right? Because if you've got dedicated roadways and snow and other such things don't really matter, at least not as much anyway. I mean, by analogy, Obviously, this is why we've seen semi and fully autonomous systems for things like trains and and aviation. It's because, well, it's a very it's a totally closed system as opposed to roads, which are obviously an open system, right? Um, so, so I think this is a really important thing to consider. And I just I don't really see enough being written about this. I don't see enough folks talking about it. Uh, and again, specifically pointing a finger at you, San Francisco. Please explain to me why it is. You, I say you, I mean the city government, why, why is there not enough being done to plan ahead and to anticipate the rollout of autonomous cars? If ever there was a city example that needed this thing to help declog the horrendously, catastrophically congested gridlock of, of a city, it is surely San Francisco. And this is coming from a guy who spent 12 years in Southern California, seven of which were in Los Angeles. And I genuinely believe that the traffic we have in San Francisco and the bridges, if only due to being sort of landlocked, um, well, not landlocked, I should say waterlocked, baylocked, you know, we've just got bridges here. Um, yeah, the traffic is actually worse. And, you know, we don't have, um, you know, our, our streets here are grids for the most part. So it's not like you can kind of hypotenuse your way across and cleverly negotiate around the gridlock. You can't. So that's just my idea. I really think that we should put a focus on this, prioritize it. And I guess that'll begin with people starting to write about it and really speaking out about it like I'm trying to do now. So uh, there you have it. Let me know what you think. As always, let's carry on. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. Well, to wrap things up today, then, we should probably go back and discuss this overarching question on everybody's minds. When will we actually have fully autonomous level five cars? Um, yeah, look, depending on what you read, when and where, uh, you're going to get a totally different answer. And you've been getting different answers, presumably for the last, really the, the past decade, right? So in the beginning, we were sort of promised fully level five cars by about now, specifically around 2020. Um, realistically, to just cut to the chase for a moment, uh, look, we're not going to have regular level five cars driving about at the snap of a finger until about the close of the 2020s. Um, at the latest, however, the early 2030s. Um, the technology will be there, and the testing will be really in full swing by about the mid-2020s, guaranteed. But it's not going to be a common thing. You're not going to see these kind of everywhere until right around 2030, and indeed as the 2030s get into full swing. I mean, it's going to take some time. The thing is, um, it, I, I, and, and actually this kind of goes to the point of the previous segment, I, I really don't think it's going to be a matter of technological... Well, hmm, let me correct what I'm trying to say here. Depending on your point of view, it's not really going to be a matter of technological limitation. I think it's going to be largely also a matter of infrastructure limitation, or at least the infrastructure limitation is going to certainly compound any technological difficulties. Um, 
I mean, obviously the end game is that if you're onboard sensors, LIDAR, camera vision, whatever you have, once it's, you know, supremely, optimally, perfectly good, then by definition, infrastructure shouldn't matter at all, right? Um, and maybe that's going to be true at some point. I think that it probably will be. But the, again, to the point of the previous segment, the sooner we can get the infrastructure rolled out and optimized for autonomous cars, the more easy it's going to be to get those things on the road. Um, so, so yeah, just to kind of wrap this up then, because there's no need to really dive into this in too much detail, because obviously a lot of people are asking about this. When is this really going to be a thing? Um, yeah, look, I do believe that you're going to have, at least for private consumption, thanks to Tesla, you are going to have <clears throat> really advanced level three cars within the next year. And potentially level four, certainly by 2025 at the very latest. I don't know what's going to happen after that. Um, I really don't. Not with Tesla anyway. Um, the big assumption, the presumption is that Elon is right, that camera vision is going to continue to advance uh, exponentially to the point where it will in fact be better than or at least equal to LiDAR systems. If that's true, then yeah, we should see potentially level five Tesla's yeah, also as we close out the decade. Um, my my bet is on Elon. Uh, like he, like my bet's on him individually as a person. Uh, as a disclaimer, yes, I do have stock in Tesla, but the reason I have stock in Tesla is because I believe in him. Uh, you know, people like to joke that Tesla is like the most volatile stock in the world. Yeah, I suppose it is. But if ever there was a safe bet on a stock, I would say surely it's Tesla just because of Elon. I mean, frankly, anybody who still wants to fault him and criticize him and call him ridiculous, stupid, insane, or crazy, okay, maybe he is all of those things, but he's not stupid, that's for sure. And frankly, he's been right at just about everything else he said and promised. Okay, maybe he kind of misses the deadline here and there, but at the end of the day, he delivers. So, so yeah, I, I think Tesla's going to probably roll out uh, the first level three and level four cars for human consumption around the kind of mid-2020s. Um, that's, I think, kind of a foregone conclusion. Uh, I do think that Waymo is going to really dominate in the kind of level five uh, ride sharing space. You know, obviously they are continuing to test in Arizona. I guess the only thing that I kind of hold against them, though, is that so much of their testing is in simulator land. And then their real world testing is, as I've mentioned in the past, in Arizona, um, where you get like zero rain and you've got roads larger than most airport runways. The point is there isn't really anything that can go wrong. So I'm not really sure what to think about that. Also, by the way, as an aside, that reminds me, there have been pretty, first of all, there's been very limited kind of feedback on how the Waymo One ride-sharing program is going in Arizona at best. And at worst, the feedback seems to be pretty suboptimal. People aren't really liking it. The cars are getting a lot of hate from fellow human drivers. They're getting abused. They're getting attacked, so on and so forth. Um, has anybody ever thought stopped to consider the fact that Taking a taxi or any other sort of ride, for that matter, not driving yourself is just really unpopular in certain places, in certain cities. I mean, even in L.A., where one could certainly make an argument that, hey, you should be taking a taxi, nobody takes a taxi in L.A. I mean, I guess Uber has gotten pretty popular, finally, if only so you don't have to go to a party and try and drive buzzed, or worse, drunk, home. Um, so I guess that's why Uber is obviously grown in popularity, but besides that, ride sharing and taxis generally are just not as popular in, say, a city like LA uh, as they are, say, in New York. And certainly for your standard suburban American town, I mean, that's just, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. Um, 
So you look at a place like Arizona, I have only been to Arizona once or twice. That does not really strike me as a sort of place where people routinely rely on taxis and ride sharing. It just isn't. Um, you don't need to. You, everyone just drives themselves. There's ample parking. There's big roads. It's easy to get from A to B, more or less anyway, apart from the occasional traffic jams, I suppose. But like, I mean, if you want to test something like Waymo One, you do it where people actually want this thing. You don't do it where people don't want it. You don't do it where people start physically attacking the cars. It doesn't make any sense. What I really would have liked to have seen is for Waymo to roll this thing out in, well, yeah, San Francisco or, or New York or Chicago or wherever, you know, somewhere where people actually want this thing. Um, and this is actually why my, why really, by that metric anyway, my, my money is really on, on uh, GM with Chevy, uh, with, with, the, uh, with the cruise automation uh, startup they acquired several years ago. Um, I really can't wait for them to finally roll out their ride-sharing program here in San Francisco because that's where they've been testing their cars, and that's the way to do it. I mean, if you want to prove these things work, you don't test them on some essentially abandoned road in the middle of a desert. No, you, you, you test them, and then you deploy them in dense urban city areas, or at least on high-speed freeways, as I've said before, in the carpool lane. And that's the way you do it. So looking forward then uh, to Chevy's, or to GM's cruise automation rolling out their ride-sharing program, who knows when, hopefully sooner rather than later. But uh, suffice to say then, to answer the question, when are we going to see these things? Yeah, um, it's going to be rolling out in the mid-2020s, and by 2030, in the early 2030s, it's going to be a thing kind of everywhere that you'll be able to snap your fingers and you'll be able to get them in most, well, most anywhere anyway. And um, as I've said numerous times in the past, during the 2040s to 2060s, um, you know, you're going to start to see fully autonomous cars the same way you see Teslas and Priuses, Prii everywhere today. Um, I think, though, that we're going to see this rollout accelerate as legal mandate, uh, as, as the law starts to mandate it, because... Um, very soon, very, very soon indeed, it, it will be required, and that will help further expedite the rollout of these cars. So there you have it. Uh, obviously, if you have any disagreements, do let me know. I know a lot of folks will have, so uh, eager to discuss these with you in great detail. All right, well, there you have it. That's a wrap for today. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I hope that I'll be back here on Friday. I'm not entirely sure, because I will be traveling. I'll be in Boston uh, f- between Friday and Monday, which, by the way, as an aside, I'm already meeting up with at least some of you in Boston. If you would like to meet up, I am free towards the latter half of the afternoon on Friday in Boston and also Monday until about 2 p.m. potentially, potentially. So uh, if you're in Boston, if you'd like to reach out, uh, if you'd like to meet up, then do reach out to me on LinkedIn, by email, through my website, on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. You can always find me at Autonomous Hogue, which, by the way, I forgot to mention, you can actually now get to my website at AutonomousHogue.com. Instead of just MarkHogue.com, you can just go to AutonomousHogue.com. That just then redirects to MarkHogue.com. Frankly, I'm not really sure which website I want to use going forward, which domain, but suffice to say, Autonomous Hogue now can get you to anything and everything about me. My website, my Twitter, my Facebook, my Instagram, whatever. Anyway, uh, there you have it. I do hope to be back on Friday. As I say, I may not be, but if you're in Boston, do let me know. It'll be great to meet up if you'd like to. Um, Until next time then, have a wonderful rest of the week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.